Have you ever wondered why today it seems like the church cares about everyone but us? I think I have the answer, and I'm glad to be back with you. After a little, well, not so little, almost six months of no episodes, people have been asking. I've been looking on the podcast app, and I haven't seen anything new. I thought something was wrong with it. No, nothing was wrong with it. Scheduling guests and making the podcast does take effort, and uh, guests get busy between Lent, Easter, and everything else, but here we are again today. Suppose we start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Johnstahova, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. I'm going to talk to you about a few things. This is your host, John Manos, president of the Bellarmine Forum, and I'm excited to be talking to you. I don't have a guest today. It's going to be you and me. We're going to talk about all of this stuff that's gone on. I mean, can you believe it? You probably just saw it here. Just I'm um, recording here on Pentecost Sunday and uh, Friday. You got all this stuff going on with 34 bishops in Chile that resigned. You know, sometimes you guys sit back from all this. We're going to talk about some kind of like crazy things too. I know, you know, about the Met Gala that was recent. You probably didn't know about some of the tweets that father, uh, James Martin put out, he was excited that somebody called him a sexy priest there. We're going to talk about people like Father James Martin, who believes the whole purpose of the church is to be building a bridge with homosexuals, or comments from our Holy Father that tells us we should be out on the margins, or our bishops who stand, oh, how did they say it in their ads? They stand with the dreamers. Why is it that us traditional Catholics feel like we're on the margins? Why aren't these people building bridges with us? Why aren't the bishops standing with us dreamers who dream for a day when our Lord is revered the way he ought to be? Who dream of a day when just being taught clear catechism, easy things like communion in the hand, out orient the mass, Hymns that aren't Gnostic or heretical. That's all we want. And we're marginalized. But nobody accompanies us, do they? They tell us we're supposed to go accompany others. I feel the answer comes from kind of a strange metaphor. During the Soviet-Russian times, after the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy's gone... Uh, Cold War kind of got diffused a little bit. It kind of blew up over, pun intended, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And Russia's new leader was Leonid Brezhnev. He had a an idea that this all this tension in the Cold War, not just, you know, we should call it truce to it. And really, everybody just wants to get along, right? So he called a detente with the West. Russians themselves call the period of time the detent and stagnation. Stagnation because nothing happened and it got worse and worse and worse. I think in some ways 
partly because of the, the spirit of Vatican II, but fully because of the modernists, i.e. heretics, within the church. The wolves in sheep clothing. We're in a detent and stagnation problem here. I'm going to go over four or five things to bring up. I already kind of hit on the topics a little bit. We're going to talk a little more in depth about how this part works out. So there's about five things we're going to go through. And I think when we're done, you're going to agree with me. This is probably a nice little packaged way to describe the problem today. Or one of the big problems we're dealing with. Now, a couple weeks ago, no, geez, it's a couple months ago. You may have seen the post that wherein I, I, I likened uh, Father Rutler to the Chuck Norris of uh, Catholic writing. Uh, Chuck Norris, of course, fighting Texas justice, good stuff. Uh, taught by Bruce Lee. I mean, tough stuff. And when, if you read George, uh, Father George Rutler's writing, he's kind of got that kind of style. It's, you know, these jabs he gets in with a paragraph and this kind of like you're reading and there's a little bit of misdirection. And all of a sudden, whoomp, and he makes a point. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's always a little bit, there's a lot of, style invested in it too because it's rich with things that kind of keep you thinking and that's kind of what it was like you know i cited an article where he was talking about communion in a hand he said sure it's wrong and then he backed off of it almost out of fear a little bit he said you know we're just not gonna we're probably not gonna see anything change about it until uh these people are gone and then he hid behind Mother Teresa. And he said that Mother Teresa was quoted as saying it was wrong, but she never wanted to be quoted as saying that because she was afraid the bishops would perceive her as being out of union with them. Afraid. That fear. I think that that's what could drive. I mean, these are religious. Father Rutler and Mother Teresa were both religious. They take, you know, they have a, a vow of obedience that they take that us lay people don't. But that fear, that fear of something. And I think that that's that fear that has created this detent with the devil. Paul VI warned of it in uh, acquiescing to the Dutch bishops creating this highly conditioned indult that permitted communion in the hand to be allowed, he warned that people should never be led against belief in the real presence, among other things. I think it's pretty obvious that that's been a problem for decades. And I've even given uh, my own uh, encounters with my... Uh, with my own uh, uh, dealings with Catholic education, I've heard a million stories from RCIA. People that are going through RCIA or they're being told, don't listen to what your RCIA teacher uh, says. Just get through it, get confirmed, and then you, you can uh, learn the, the true stuff. Why? Because the RCIA people aren't teaching what's, what church teaching is. So... This fear, though, drives, it seems to even even drive bishops. You know, there, we have examples back from Holy Week. You know, think of Holy Thursday. Judas is afraid 
of something. So he goes to try to cut a deal. Of course, he loves money, too. So, you know, he sees a win-win situation for himself. Peter, though. Peter's the surprising one. Peter, who said at the table, I'll never, I'll never forsake you, Lord. Uh, I'll never betray you. A little while later, when he's afraid of the crowd, saying, I don't know the man. I'm not saying that Father Rutler or Mother Teresa had that kind of fear. But there certainly seems to be some fear when you say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't quote me for that because I don't want to be perceived as being against the bishops. I can get that if you've made a, uh, if you made a vow. We're talking about the rest of us here. I mean, we have a, a role of obedience to the magisterium. But if a bishop denies the real presence, do you have to be obedient to that part? I would say no. Um, of course, I don't, I'm not saying how you express it, but obviously when the bishop says that, he must be not thinking that he's saying something in contrary to the magisterium itself. So, I mean, you've identified if then that hypothetical bishop said something like that, he just created a problem for himself because he broke with the magisterium, which bishops aren't supposed to do. But let's think about, you know, even this kind of a, the Old Testament church, where Lord comes to change it. You've got the Sanhedrin there. They're afraid too. They're afraid of this guy who the people think is a prophet that's stirring up the crowds. Fear for themselves, fear for the order, fear of, you know, things might change. So, I mean, all those rigged trials and everything they went through, all those mental gymnastics to make everything okay. How does it play out for us, though? How many times have you heard it? Oh, we can't, um, we can't really force people to take communion in the hand because people will leave. There's your fear. We're always being put in fear of stating the truth because people will leave. This phantasm of a schism that's supposed to be coming. Am I the only one that realizes the schism's been here for like uh, 30 years, 40 years? It wasn't Vatican II that made it. Vatican II, the spirit of Vatican II, gave the excuse to the modernists to just carry on in error. And it kind of put everybody with good intentions back on their heels. It's the detente. Instead of pushing them off the cliff. Instead of pushing them back from the table. We've allowed these erroneous voices to stay at the table and worse we're afraid to say anything lest anybody get upset at the celebration table you know what do they call it and there's a am churches uh they talk about the table and celebration and worship and gathering of community you know i guess if if you think it's all of that then you want to keep the peace at the table that's the detente I'm talking about. So even if the devil's sitting there at the table with them, nobody will say he's wrong. That's the detente within the church. And so where has it gotten us? Let's move on to one of these other ideas. Let's talk about this margins 
people in the margins, or the bishops being with the dreamers. I saw that thing, and you know, I, I had to laugh because the bishops are showing these pictures of of a uh, young Hispanic-looking children. Of course, it's always the children. We're supposed to do it all for the children, right? Those children deserve to know about the truth of communion on the tongue, the real presence, mass at orientum, and all the other truths of the faith, just like every other child does. But somehow I didn't get the feeling that all of the moves by the bishops back over that DACA vote that went on in a Congress and their excitement to create these benefits and a amnesty for what they think are all Mexican immigrants. But I had to wonder about it. You know, they're, they're talking about no-go zones in U.S. cities. That's the problem with Paris and London right now because they've brought in so many third-worlders that don't read, don't write, and have no interest in their language. And they've brought the uh, tribal laws into the middle of things. It makes me wonder about a city like the Twin Cities up in Minneapolis has brought in so many Somalians now. What Somalians? You know, the people that will go out and hijack ships going by, the pirates, that have like this uh, law of the jungle kind of like uh, land pirate kind of stuff going on. I mean, and so we're just bringing them in hand over fist into places like Minneapolis. What drives me crazy is years ago, this was many years ago now, and I'm not going to give the place. I'm going to try to anonymize this uh, story as much as I can. But I think it encapsulates the whole problem with one part of what the bishops mean when they say they're with the dreamers. But I remember a priest, not Hispanic, clearly American. Just you, there's no getting around it. I'm not going to give details why it's apparent, but the guy's just American. And he was just so excited speaking to another priest in my presence. And uh, the priest I knew asked him, how's the parish going? The other one said, oh, it's just so marvelous. With all the immigrants, they're just marvelous people. And that's the future of the church. I remember that striking me. It was the first time I'd heard it. Or the first time I heard it in a way where I believed that, okay, there's somebody in the church that believes this. That we need to import the future of our church. We need to bring people in from another country. My mind immediately went, and I was biting my tongue. Believe me, I was biting my tongue so bad. when Because my, my mind went right to the parable of the Good Shepherd. And I thought of the people I went to grade school with. We were all dreamers. We had dreams of being saints. I remember, you know, sitting in religion class and we talk about, I want to be the saint of this or I want to be patron saint of that. And I watched guitar masses, felt banners, crappy hymns, and error taught as the catechism. And I mean it, error. Oh, it's a symbol of community. Oh, it's worship space. All of that stuff. 70% of them are gone. I went to Catholic school with the future of the church. And those people were squandered 
by bishops who failed to teach the faith to them or deliberately, or I'm not going to use the word deliberately, but I know the errors that were taught to them were taught with force. Let me say it that way. If it's not deliberate, if it wasn't intentional, I don't know what else it was, but to say, to say it the way I was going to say it, that would just sound too harsh and we can't get anybody upset. Get where I'm coming from with this day tent with the devil. Yes, there were there were great voices. Fortunately, I got to see many of them at the Latin Mass that my parents would go to. I got to see a lot of these people that still said the rosary. I got to see these people who would pray for conversion in the church. I got to see, unfortunately, you know, their prayers uh, uh, led by uh, by uh, by my mom for you know me to become kind of come back to my faith. I had my St. Paul moment and uh, had my eyes opened up. Thanks be to God a long time ago. But I can remember being the only one in their 20s going to Mass. Where were all the other dreamers? Where were the bishops looking for them? Where were the priests looking for them? They weren't. Instead, Back in those days, you heard about the future priest shortage that was coming. Maybe we'll save that for another episode. I can understand why. Particularly when you looked at the seminaries around Cincinnati. I can understand why nobody went there. You might not be aware of or... or, or <coughs> you might not know about the story of Barbara Fiond and uh, why the Vatican in a 1997 article talked about the error of advancing the laity by placing women in the seminary. That was in Cincinnati. It was Archbishop Polartic that did those things. That was going on in the 90s. So while all of my dreamers in the future of the church were being driven out by error, experimentation, and just lunacy, they squandered the future of the church. We had a demographic problem anyway. Gen X is smaller than the baby boomers, much smaller. Gee, I wonder where that came from. Wouldn't happen to have been because nobody listened to Humanae Vitae and the bishops didn't teach on that, would it? So the devil's been sitting around the table for a long time. And yes, there's voices in the church. I don't mean to, if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you're, you're not one of these people that is content with the devil sitting at the worship space. Trust me. But you know, you've been to one of these parishes. You've been to an AM church thing. You've been around long enough. You know what I mean? The minute you bring these things up immediately, you're the problem. Oh, don't say that that way. That's not how it works in the church. Oh, that you're going to, that'll just make the schism come. Oh no, we don't, we don't talk like that to them because we'll get them upset. That's the detent and stagnation. And what has happened in the meantime, we've created a generation of Catholics, Gen X, Gen Y. that don't know, don't know what's going on. That 
some of them now are coming back and trying to find tradition. And that's why I think you see some growth in the Latin mass because they find they're like, Hey, wait a minute. You mean there's a God and he made me and he revealed the the Catholic faith. And, and actually that's all I have to do. And they're excited because the faith's beautiful. It's something we should be proclaiming. Let me give you an example. Several episodes ago on this podcast, we talked about communion in the hand. Took a few months and listener approached me and uh, said, I don't really understand about that. You know, in my parish, they don't make a big deal out of it. You know, and, and um, there's the Eucharistic ministers and why, why is it such a big deal? So we talked about it. And I told him the truth. We talked about, you know, you know the stories back in the Old Testament. You know the Ark of the Covenant. That was God's president presence for the Israel Israelites. And what happened if anybody touched the Ark of the Covenant? They died, right? Because that was a sacred thing. I can remember when I was an altar boy, I was taught you weren't supposed to touch the vessels that held the blessed sacrament with your bare hand. You were supposed to put, it was supposed to be a purificator. You had gloves on or something like that. Why? My hands aren't ordained. They were never uh, consecrated, set aside for service to God by a bishop. So like the Israelites, where the priest could go into the Holy of Holies without dying. The vessels that hold our Lord, we still hold reverence for. We did. So we talked a little bit longer. And I brought up these examples, both from the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, brought up how things used to be and talked with him about what I just mentioned, about the, the reverence for the sacred vessels. He said, I never thought of that. That makes total sense to me. I don't want to, I don't want to get communion in the hand anymore. This was a convert. Somebody that came to the faith was looking for the truth. They had already come to believe that the blessed sacrament is the real presence, but they were confused by the things they see happening in their church. The extraordinary ministers, who I like to call the busybodies. In the way that people receive our Lord. Thought, well, you know, those, they're doing it and it's okay, so I'm not getting what the what the deal is. We talked about that a little bit more. And, you know, the prayers are still there. I don't think they're said audibly anymore, and I don't know. It's probably not part of it. I, I guess I should have looked at the, uh, the Roman Missal before saying this. You can remember, though, you see it in the older ones, and, and it's still a prayer in Byzantine churches as well. And in some of the preparations for Holy Communion bring up the concept of, uh, it comes from St. Paul, that we're taking communion and we're taking it with contrite heart in, in attempts to make a worthy reception of the Blessed Sacrament. Why a worthy one? Because if you make an unworthy reception of the Blessed Sacrament, it doesn't bring you divine life, but it brings judgment, and condemnation, which means death. 
there's an image in the old Baltimore Catechism that you can remember where the uh, kid goes into the uh, confessional with four boxes of sins. And uh, as the story went, it was making a point, only confessed three of those sins and was ashamed of the fourth one and never never uh, uh, confessed that one and comes back out and instead of having no boxes meaning no sin, has now five boxes because the four sins they went in with are now still with them and now a new one of making a bad confession is with them. Well, so it is with our with our Lord. The, the, the state of grace, the, the, the mind, the belief that that is our Lord, you know, John 6, our Lord brings it up that his body's real flesh, real food. That's what we get. If you don't believe in that, you don't believe in our Lord, if you're in a state of mortal sin, that's not, it does bring condemnation. Or if you just don't care. And that's the point where hopefully these people are just facing uh, ignorance because at least with the ignorance, there's an excuse. The way they handle our Lord, the way they do these things, it makes you wonder, that doesn't look like worthy reception of our Lord. And I believe that's our Lord Jesus Christ. The same, him who died for me and rose from the dead. He who sits at the right hand of the father. We say that in the creed. If you believe those words you're saying, that's who that is. And I bring up this story about not being afraid to speak the truth, because here was a situation where if the church was doing this as a whole, Instead of being afraid of how the people that are confused might react and that they would leave the church, we would see more people coming back to good, good orthopraxis, good practice of the faith, and back to the true faith. But that fear that they tent with the devil, oh, it might cause a schism, has done nothing but cause a schism and actually driven people out. And so we're left in a case where that fear marginalizes us. It's probably one of the last points I want to bring up about this day tent with the devil. I just think it's funny that I mentioned that tweet from uh, Father James Martin where he, he said that he was excited. It, he was at the Met Gala and some guy said that, oh, he dressed as a sexy priest for the gala. Apart from all of the problems with that kind of tweet coming from that person uh father james martin is out there actively saying that the problem with the church is we need to build a bridge with the homosexuals how about building a bridge with the people that are catholic how about just teaching the catholic faith i don't know if these extracurricular activities are necessary because they take away from the the rot and the stagnation within the church. You know, it's fine to have mission activity and stuff like that. But the solution isn't to go start creating a new church over there when the one you're in has been driving 70% of its own people out. Precisely because you're out building bridges with people that don't want to be in the church. You know, and it's the same thing with Pope Francis, where he talks about going out on the margins of society. You know, I, 
sounds kind of nice. You know, you th- start thinking about the the pills that John in the book of uh, Apocalypse talks about, where it's sweet in the mouth and bitter in the stomach. The more I think about that, the more the, the more I think there's a real problem here. Because if I say something like communion in the hand is wrong, and then if I cheer when Cardinal Sarah says communion in the hand is part of a diabolical attack on the church, talk about a church prelate that gets the idea that the devil's sitting at the table and wants them gone, Cardinal Sarah gets it. But if I cheer with Cardinal Sarah, suddenly I'm the problem. The same with you. If you cheer with Cardinal uh, Sarah or Sarah, you're the problem too. I don't get, I don't, I don't get that part because now they've marginalized us, your beliefs, my beliefs, and, and, and our desire to hold to the magisterial teachings of the church has marginalized us. In the minds of these people who talk about helping the disadvantaged, who talk about we need to show charity, who talk about all of the stuff that they don't show to us, that they don't show to our Lord. I mean, have you noticed something? When you look on TV and you see commercial advertising or when you see corporate hiring policies, do you really think that homosexuals are on the margins of society? Do you remember a few years ago, the CEO of Mozilla or no, you know, they make Firefox gets out and, and says, he doesn't say he's going to against same sex marriage. He just says he's not going to support it. And he's not gonna make statements in support of it. Immediately. There was a, a cry, a battle cry from all the SJWs, social justice workers, that is, and, and, and the homosexuals to remove him as the CEO because he's a bigot. He's, he's mean. We can't have people like this there. And so this, this guy's out of a job. Where was the charity for him? Where was the care and understanding for him? I could come up with stories of similar situations from within the church, but it, uh, as far as how treat priests are treated within their deaneries or how uh, various religious are treated just because they really don't care about the homosexual issue didn't even didn't even condemn anybody just they weren't going along with it and they're marginalized and beyond being marginalized they're literally pushed out to the margins of their religious societies to the margins of how their church works to the margins of their parish. You see you, me and people that believe like us, we're on the margins. They've put us on the margins in their minds. They've tried to push us out, I guess, to make a bigger place at the celebration table for the devil. Why else would this be going on? What else would they be after? If it was the future of the church, if it was to bring people back, then they'd be going after my 70% of my classmates 
who they lied to, who they kept their mouths shut about the faith to, <clears throat> to whom never heard the good news that our Lord loves us. Now, Catholicism, while what we must believe is actually pretty simple, what God asks of us is pretty simple. There's so much beauty behind it. We could spend our whole lives learning more. And we could actually spend all of eternity learning more and more about how God loves us and wants to be with us and wants to do good things for us and wants nothing but the best for us and gave us this church that can deal with sorrow, that can remove pain, that can get rid of guilt, that can make our lives new again. Nobody talks about that part. Somehow, one of the ways to tell who these modernists are in the church is they'll never tell anybody to go to the sacraments. Don't ever tell anybody to go to confession. They'll never talk about the power of grace you get in confession to reform your life back to how God created you to be. It's always instead about how we're supposed to become understanding of people who aren't able to live as God asks. In other words, to make compromises with error. That's the detent with the devil. Bring error to the table. Bring the community in. We all sit at the community together. We'll make a, a felt banner to commemorate it that says something like community or gather. We're supposed to all gather in. Yes, yeah, now how the hymn goes. So, I'm, okay, a little bit wound up on on the felt banners. I, you know, but it's felt's one of those things that when it gets wet, like in a deluge of grace, it just falls apart. The colors run on it and it isn't any good. So it's kind of fitting, I think, that the modernists in the church have a, have a, have a preference for 